Anyway, we are going to get into a family Christmas message today. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 2. And we will read, opening up here, verses 1 through 7. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Jesus also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. This is a moment, a period in history that frankly all of time pivots around. The birth and then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For a moment, just try to appreciate, if you could, the folks who are there in this scene and in this story. This is something that has been foretold of for thousands of years. A Savior will come a Messiah, a rescuer, one who will be a new king, who will lead his people out of bondage, lead them into victory and triumph. This has been so much anticipation for so long, and the time has finally come. God's plan to restore humanity back into relationship with him is now beginning to set on the earth through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. We know that our Christmas story essentially sets the stage for what will eventually be the Easter story. That's the full picture. It's the birth of the Son of God through a virgin living a sinless life and then ultimately becoming the sacrifice for our sin, but not being left in the grave, actually defeating the grave, being raised from death, and actually rising triumphantly. And we are promised that as well. Folks, it's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. We can't put too many exclamation points on it. We can't tell it too many years in a row. Jesus says it's the good news. I came to bring the good news of the kingdom, and we're still sharing that same good news today, and it is still the single, sole, only thing that can save a human heart from depravity that we're born into the world in. It's a great story, but it's more than a story. And so what I wanted to do today is looking at the different uh, aspects in the Gospels of what we see around the birth of Jesus, again, and having some fun with a family Christmas theme, I'd like to make seven statements, seven statements today that you have to decide as I say them, are they true or false? And I want to keep you accountable. So when I make each statement, you have to turn to your neighbor and you have to give them your answer for if you think it's true or false before we unpack it. And we'll see how you do. But he's like, ooh, man, I'm getting nervous now. All right. 
You're going to ask me to come up there and sing a Christmas song? We just might. So seven statements, family Christmas theme. You're accountable to your neighbor. Statement number one, some families are perfect. True or false? Some families are perfect. So let's talk about this, and then I'll give you the answer at the end. Things that I find very interesting about the story, things I don't know if you've maybe thought of before. God chose a human family to bring his son into the world and, and to raise and nurture his plan in the environment of a human family. I think that's really cool. It says something about the value and the regard that God places on the household that he created and the way he designed it to function. When it's functioning properly, it's a very healthy environment to nurture and cultivate the plans and purposes of God for the up-and-coming generations. He used the human family. The statement was some families are perfect. Now, if you think about this and we get real theologically accurate here, we would have to say, of course, Jesus was perfect. We know this. He lived a perfect life, sinless. He never messed up. But he lived in the midst and in the environment of a family. He had a mom. He had a a dad, an earthly father, and Joseph. He had four brothers, the Bible tells us, and sisters we're not exactly sure of how many. So growing up, Jesus experienced the rhythms and the functioning of a human family as he was being raised up to accomplish God's plan for his life. I mean, can you imagine being the siblings? Oh, I know, Jesus, it wasn't your fault. (laughs) No, it wasn't actually, (laughs) No, because he's perfect. That had to be tough. (laughs) But listen, Jesus was perfect, but no one else is. So the statement, some families are perfect, obviously must be false because no one else is perfect. But here's what I want to encourage you with today, folks. Whatever kind of family dynamic that you are in, and I know there's all kinds. I know there are uh, broken families and there are joined families and different things. And I just want to tell you this. That we all have our own stuff. We've got our own quirks. We've got our own differences and uniquenesses. And sometimes people get so much the wrong view and they look on these things. They look down and they, and they desire what other families have instead of investing in what God has given them. Every family is a blessing from God. We all have our messes. Right? We all have our uniquenesses. People could sometimes be guilty of saying, well, the grass is greener on the other side. But I assure you that God can work through the mess. There might be some messes that we have to invest in to improve and change and to grow. But there might be some other things that are actually just very unique characteristics about the dynamic of your family that God actually wants to use for his glory. Did you know a godly family is one of the greatest witnesses to a, a fallen and lost world? The strength that God can build there. 
But there are differences in all of our families, aren't there? Don't look at your neighbor next to you right now and start pointing them all out. We've all got them. I know one of the things I've thought about before sometimes with a household of eight for us um, is that on a pretty normal time frame, a pretty typical day, that the volume level is usually very high. <laughs> it's loud. And, uh, and every now and then I have to put a tracking device on Katie so she doesn't run away. But um, <laughs> there are times where it's like, it feels like, man, this is just a lot. It's loud, you know. But I remember a couple years ago, she took the kids and they went and uh, traveled to visit one of her family members out of state. And so I was home by myself for a, about a week. And the first day, you know, second day, I was like, oh, this is nice. It's quiet around here. But I'm telling you, by the third day, I missed that little sound of pitter-patter and feet running across the floor. I missed, Dad, come here and see this. And Dad, watch this. And I realized in my heart, like, I couldn't go without this for very much longer. God's given us something special and unique. And while there may be times that that uniqueness or things about your family and your life may seem challenging, I assure you that God can work through it and use it, and it can be a blessing to you and to the world around you. Amen? Amen. 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 So if you answered false, you got that one right. Statement number two, raising a godly family is easy. Easy. Check. (laughs) Nothing to it. All right, what's your answer to your neighbor? Raising a godly family is easy. Listen, the Bible says that uh, for parents, you know, we raise up a child in the ways of the Lord, and as they grow, they'll not depart from it. And when we look at what it takes to raise a godly family, you have to, you have to embrace and understand and appreciate that it's seasonal, right? It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a year. There are changing seasons of the growing dynamics of our family. There are parts of what we've been through that will never be again. I remember the day Katie told me to go in and take Dax's crib apart. He's our sixth and our youngest child. And as I went in to take the crib apart so we could, you know, pass it on to my sister, Brittany, because she's got a whole bunch of them coming up behind us now. I remember as I was taking that apart, just thinking like, wow, this is, this is it. It's the final chapter on this thing. No more cribs. And it just hit me really hard that we're, entering, we're, we're coming out of a season, but we're entering into a new season. Raising a godly family happens through changing seasons of life. We must nurture and cultivate it. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It takes hard work. But is it worth it? I'm not sure that there's much more under heaven that's worth it more than raising a godly family and seeing the Lord's purposes and plans for that up-and-coming generation come to pass. Just know that God works through processes. There's not a microwave version for raising a godly family. Some things that we have to really be good at is instilling priorities and boundaries in order to protect and cultivate, listen, in your household, in your family, the environment that you are responsible for stewarding. Sometimes we get off on this and and we forget that the environment outside of our sphere that God has given us 
we're not really responsible for that. We're responsible for the environment that is within our own household and stewarding that environment well. But listen, this is what's awesome, is that God will give you the grace and the wisdom and the strength to do that as you need that if you rely on him through the process. I have found that there are different types of wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and understanding that are needed at these different and growing stages of a developing family. And God is willing to provide all of what's necessary if we ask him, if we believe, and if we depend on him. Abraham Lincoln said that a strength of a nation lies in the homes of its people. It's good, isn't it? So go the families, so go the nation. So statement number two, raising a godly family is easy, is false. And all the parents said, amen. All right. Statement number three, we must protect the next generation. We must protect the next generation. Let me read just Matthew 2.16 here for you. Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry And he sent forth and put to death all of the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So the enemy has always went about the business of trying to abort God's plans in infancy when he catches wind of them. And perhaps none so blatant and as aggressive at trying to take out the young, innocent, and next generation. I remember when we were in Israel one of the times, and we were planning a trip for next year in the fall, by the way, just as a little uh, piece of information. We'll have more details next year, but... We were in Israel a couple years ago, and we went to Bethlehem. And there is a church there that supposedly marks the site of where the caves uh, were underground, where Jesus was probably born in this area. And so we went down, and we were in these caves, and we were just taking in the moment. And our tour guide began to share some historical heart wrenching information with us. He said that archaeologists, however many years before, when they were uncovering the remnants of the land and the dirt and and just discovering uh, the place, they found, uh, I think he said thousands, it was a ridiculous number of infant bones all buried in this area. And I mean, you just cut through the air with a knife. And I remember it was like our hearts were just wrenched and I began to think about this story and then someone in our group just kind of started to sing, Oh, come all you faithful. And then the whole group began to sing and it was just echoing through the caves in this place and it was, not sure how else to say it, but it, it was just this picture of me that what the enemy intends for harm that God can still turn around and use for good. But we've got to understand that God has given us a mandate as his people. We are responsible, church. 
for looking after and protecting the next generation. This is not something that we can abdicate. And just like in the days of Herod, the enemy is interested in attacking and trying to take out the next generation today as well. We see things like abortion. We see things like unhealthy and ungodly indoctrination, different things that are happening. And I would just say for us as people of God, there is an offensive measure that we can take in this thing. There is a way that we can be offensive and still be godly. But we have to take a stand for looking after and protecting the next generation. Let me tell you something. Jesus was very serious about little children. He said, let me tell you something. If somebody would even harm, the slightest little harm would come to one of these children, it'd be better for that person if a millstone was tied around his or her neck and they were tossed into the sea and sank. Jesus is giving us a responsibility, a mandate to look after and protect the next generation. God establishes his plans and purposes and brings them to fulfillment through multiple generations. You understand that, right? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He Think of it like this. God may be doing things in our life right now, in your life, that what he's leading you to do you may be looking for certain kinds of fruit and harvest to be coming, but perhaps is that God is using you to really just sow seed into the younger generation that they will actually bring up to full harvest and maturity. David got the dream in his heart for a temple, but Solomon had the strength to bring it to pass. It passed through into other generations. I'm just trying to tell you, God is a multi-generational God. He's mandated us with protecting and looking after and investing in the next generation. And his purposes transcend any one generation that's on the face of the earth. We must protect the up-and-coming youth of our day. So statement number three, we must protect the next generation, is true. Statement number four, swaddling is a spiritual gift. Don't answer too quick. True or false? Swaddling is a spiritual gift. Luke 2, 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. How many people have ever swaddled before? How many people are good swaddlers? I mean, there's something about a baby being swaddled right that just puts them at ease. I think it has to do with just a feeling like being in the womb, you know, but it's just comfortable to them. They just, they relax. I remember early on, Katie was a pro. I mean, she just, she had the tuck, the wrap, the, the whole thing down, and, and I, just, I just couldn't get it. I get frustrated every time. Just when I thought I had it right, Mike, I get him, I give him to her, I lay him down, and they just come busting out of that thing, like a little burrito that exploded, you know? <laughs> Like, ah, finally started to get it down toward the end. But swaddling is a spiritual gift, is the statement. Uh, and I would just say this there are natural and there are spiritual gifts that God has apportioned to all of us uniquely, and they are intent for us to be able to fulfill his plans and purposes for our lives. 
We see gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 2. There's a pretty wide variety, just to name some of them. The spirit, this gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. We've got the gifts of prophecy, ministry or serving, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy. God gave gifts for some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and swaddlers. No, it wasn't that one. <laughs> But my point is, is, guys, is that there are a variety of gifts, both natural and spiritual. God has apportioned them to us. They are a gift from him that can be used to bring him glory. And God wants to actually use those things to accomplish incredible things through us while we're here on this earth. So the statement swaddling is a spiritual gift is false. It may be a natural gift but it's not a spiritual gift. So that was maybe a trick question. See if we got that one right. Number five, all gifts must be returned. Anybody here, like, do you have the gift receipt with that? You know? I always kid around with Katie because, oh, sorry. I just got the look. (laughs) Keep the tags on, kids, now. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's uncomfortable, Mom. Just keep the tag on. We don't know if we're going to keep it now. (laughs) All gifts. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm dead. I'm dead. (laughs) I sometimes have to hide my notes at the house before service so she doesn't prove freedom. Oh, Let me show you where I'm going with this. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 7, Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men and determined from them what time that the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, so I may come and worship him also. We know he was lying about that. When they heard the king, they departed. These are the wise men. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. And then it came and stood over where the young child was. By the way, astrologers will tell you that this is an astrological phenomenon. A star does not move like this. This doesn't happen, but obviously God made it happen. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasuries, they presented gifts to him Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I I find it really interesting that the idea of presenting gifts to Jesus and then also this being described as an act of worship come right here in the same package for us. So let me go back to the previous statement of God has has given us gifts, spiritual and natural, but when I say all gifts must be returned to him, here's, here's what I mean by that. They can be used for our own personal pleasures or things in life, or they can be used to serve God. And what we have to do is we have to bring our gifts back to God, essentially lay them at his feet as an act of worship and say, God, you gave them to me to begin with. 
I want them to be used for your purposes, not my purposes, God. I want to be used to serve others and not to serve myself. And when we do that and we give those gifts back to God, put them in his hands and say, use me for your glory, not my own, then God begins to put a grace and a blessing and a power on those gifts that I promise you will allow them to be used in an elevated capacity that can be, cannot be achieved if we are trying to use gifts to fulfill some kind of our own personal agenda in this world. God can do way more with these things than we can do ourselves. All gifts must be returned. And think about this. When we give our gifts, we give them back to God, use them, Lord, and then he says, okay, Serve others with them. Serve the world around you. That's the greatest purpose for this. Serve others and bring me glory, and you'll be blessed along the way. You understand the, what you put first, though, right? But our God represents this to us. He models it. He gave the most extravagant gift that could ever be given. He gave his son. You want to talk about a gift, that's a gift. God the Father represents to us the most extravagant giver, the most extravagant generosity that could ever even be modeled. He gave fully, and he gave his best. And so I just want to ask you this Christmas season and be thinking about this as we go forward. Are we giving our best? Would we say about ourselves and the way we raise our families that we are extravagantly generous, accurately reflecting an extravagantly generous God. Because what's amazing, and this is again a supernatural principle, is that we can release and let go of our best and God can provide increase from there. Perhaps is the blessing that you need or that you're thinking you need or that you're praying for, perhaps is it actually on the other side of a release of something else you may still be holding on to. I have found that many times God will say in a season of increase, before we go up, I want to ask you to let go of something and release it. And then trust me, it, it feels like, I'm not sure if I can let go with that much, God. I'm not sure if I can depart with that much of my resource. And then God says, no, I'm asking you to give to this point. And then I have found on the other side of that release often comes the increase is beyond what I could have even imagined. So all gifts must be returned. We're going to call that one true. Number six. If you call your wife old, you may never talk again. <laughs> now, I've studied this all throughout, and theologians, all, this is a gray area, folks. This is a gray area. If you, if you call your wife old, you may never talk again. We know that Zacharias... The father of John the Baptist, when the angel came and visited him. In fact, let's just go there. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel when he was announcing that they would have a son, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Other translations say she's really up there 
She's really up there. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which would be fulfilled in their own time. So he says his wife is old and the angel says, you're not talking anymore. And sure enough, he came out and all the people were like, what's he been in there for so long? What's going on? And he saw an angel, but he couldn't speak. So then he couldn't really even tell people. He had to write on epitaphs and etch things in that he wanted to say, right? All because he called his wife old. No, actually, it was because he didn't believe what the angel was telling him God could do. Because with God, as was also said to Mary, but she had faith for it, he said, with God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. You're looking at your mountain. You're looking at your hill. And maybe the enemy has got you beat down. He's got you discouraged and you can't see around it. It's just this eyesore and and you don't see a way through and you don't see a way around and you can't see over the top. In fact, it's the only thing that's in your view right now. And maybe God just wanted you to come here today so that I could tell you he's bigger than your mountain. He's bigger than every mountain. And maybe just having faith for that, that God, with God, nothing is impossible. You may not know how, but you must know that he can. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that was statement number six. We're going to, it's kind of a gray area, I know, but we'll just say that's false. If you call your wife old, you probably will suffer consequences, but I'm not sure you'll be mute. Number seven, final statement, not sure how you're doing yet, was six. God has the best family plan. God has the best family plan. God created this thing called family. He designed it. And what's amazing to me is that each and every single one of us, we have a calling and a purpose that God has put on our lives. And it's unique and it's individual. But there is this special dynamic of a family that God uses where there is is a calling, there is a purpose on a family, and we can function as a unit as well. We can accomplish our destinies, but when we are headed together all in the same direction as a family unit, there's something even more powerful that can begin to happen For God's glory and as a witness to him. It's an awesome dynamic. It's a system. It's a unit. But here's what we have to understand as we're rearing families, as we're nurturing strong families. And again, I want to remind you that God can work through any situation. God is not incapable of using any situation that you might find yourself in. And saying, if your heart's devoted to me and you want to serve and honor me, I can use you right where you are. I can use you. doesn't mean that there isn't growth coming. It just means that he's still able to use us right where we are. But if we are going to uh, see God's plans for our family come to pass, grow, be a witness for him, we've got to realize that a lot of times God's plans will actually disrupt our own. Has anybody else ever found that before? 
You know, Mary and Joseph found that in spades. They found it. They had a plan. They had it all figured out, right? Mary was already pre-registered at David's bridal. They had the photographer lined up. They had the reception hall booked and ready. They had the invitations all ready to be stamped and sent out. All the RSVPs were coming in, the big day. They had plans. But God had a better plan. The point I want you to get is that his plan collided with, in a most beautiful way, but disrupted the plans that they had of their own. And they had a choice to make. Would they cling so tightly to their own plans that God couldn't do what he wanted to do? Or would they let go of their plans so that they could actually lay hold of what God was trying to do? You know, Joseph, in fact, let's just, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Hallelujah, for he will save people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Man, Joseph's plans got totally interrupted. I think we could probably appreciate, can't we, what Joseph must have been going through. On some level, I think we can get that. This is a hard moment. She's pregnant. You're not married. This child isn't your child. It will be yours to raise, but this is actually of the Holy Spirit. What's the angel saying? He's saying, Joseph... I know this isn't the way that you saw it going. I know this isn't the plan you had made. But Joseph, this thing is of God. And I'm asking you to lay hold of it. I'm asking you to embrace and step into a plan that's very different, but better than your own. Wow. What a moment. And I think, guys, that we're going to have moments like this too, where God is going to come in and he's going to start moving in a situation. I kind of think it's almost a testing thing where he introduces a plan. He introduces somewhere he wants to take us that God has concealed and hidden from us until then. You know, it says in the Bible, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to seek it out. So maybe God has concealed or hidden something for a time and then he begins to reveal his plan and it's almost like a test. Will you let go of what you've been planning? Will you let go of the way you saw this going? Because now you see, you discern 
that this is of God and God is doing a different thing? Will you partner with him and move in a direction that he wants to take you? You know what I love about the story here? You know, again, God honors in the way he, he shows us how important the family dynamic is. And I believe God works this way in the unit, in the home, in the household. Do you know that he came and sent messengers to speak to Joseph and Mary? Did you catch that? He spoke to him individually, but what they were both hearing, if they were receiving it and discerning it, it actually aligned. So God was speaking to both the husband and the wife, the leaders of the home, but he was speaking a message that was in unity. And when they came back together and they talked about what God was saying and what God was doing, they found unity and they came into agreement and something even more powerful can happen when we do that. But he's a speaking God. Amen? He's a speaking God and he is interested in laying on the hearts and ears of his servants if we will seek what it is that he wants to do. But he may be concealing and he may just be revealing in layers and layers as we seek and press in, saying, God, what do you have for our family? What do you have for our household? What do you have for our future? And God, would you give us the grace to steward this responsibility well for you? And I assure you, church, that he will provide everything that's needed in the exact measure that it's needed in the precise time that it's needed because he is a perfect God. Amen? Now close with this. So that was statement number seven. God has the best family plan. I think we would all agree that that is true. By the way, show of hands, who went seven for seven today? That's it? Seven for seven. Who? All right. So we got a few. I'm out of prizes. Sorry. But uh, great job. And I'll close with this. We talked a lot about family today, the household, different types of dynamics. God can use and bless us where we are. He wants to do that. He's not bound by any situation, right? But there's this beautiful reality that God says, I've given you family, I've called you into a situation or a household, I've placed you in a place to do things. But God also makes it very, very clear that when we accept and embrace the truth of his son, the message of Christmas and Easter, the birth, death, resurrection, when we embrace that, each and every one of us, that we become a part of the family of God, a heavenly family, an eternal family. So let me say it to you like this. Wherever you are, however you got here today, whatever situation you find yourself in, and I know there's pain out here today. I know it. I know there's brokenness. I know there's dysfunction. I get it. But let me say something to you. You belong. You have a family. God is calling you in to his family to be a part of the eternal family, God's family. And when we take our place in his family, it sets everything else in order.